reading from the 11th chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews, beginning with verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, It is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be the greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all of these, though they were commended for their faith, 
did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him, who endured such hostility against Himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Reading from the 12th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with the 49th verse. Jesus is speaking. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized. And what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you. But rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How many of you know who Charles Barkley is? Anybody remember Charles Barkley? Ball guy played for the Phoenix Suns. Said a lot of crazy stuff. Got him a news anchor job for an NBA. <laughs> Apparently saying crazy stuff can be productive, but Charles used to say some things that I thought were pretty funny. Matter of fact, his pronunciation of the word terrible has become my pronunciation. Even when I don't intend to, I will say that's terrible trying to sound like Chuck Barkley. Anybody else do that? I mean, honestly, he was part of my youth, part of my younger adult years. And, you know, he came to mind this week as 
I was thinking about the rest of this Hebrews chapter. This Hebrews is my favorite book of the Bible. When I was in seminary and the professors would ask all the Lutheran students what their favorite book of the Bible was, they would all say, well, other than the Gospels. I'm like, he's asking you people to commit. <laughs> I'd raise my hand and say, Hebrews. Because I love it. It's the book that made the whole idea of Jesus' suffering and death make sense for me. That somehow... A man killed in the most humiliating way that human beings have ever devised was Lord of the universe. This book opened that for me when I first engaged it seriously. And, and Hebrews 10.23 has always kind of held the, held the deepness of that. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is... Can you guess what the next word is? Faithful. He who promised is faithful. What's that got to do with Charles Barkley? You might ask. Well, there was a time when people were wanting all the NBA stars, professional athletes, to be role models for their children. Do you remember those days? I think maybe those parents were just being lazy and looking for somebody else to be a good example for their kid. And so Charles Barkley teamed up with Nike and they made a very controversial shoe uh, commercial that you can see on YouTube even to this day. And in that he said these words, I am not a role model. Just because I can dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kid. He was disavowing the idea that he was somehow a hero that people should look up to just because he had a certain talent. He went even further one day after uh, Tanya Harding hit the America sweetheart with the crowbar. Y'all remember that? Broke her knee. Wasn't that horrible? Well, after that happened, Tanya Harding said that she said, that she was the Charles Barkley of her sport. Now, could you imagine being Charles Barkley and hearing that? And Charles said that his first response was to sue her for defamation of character. But then he realized, I had no character, he said. A person in touch with himself, that's important. Do you see that? A person in touch with who he really was, that he wasn't someone that somebody should put on a pedestal and model their life after. That's important. Very often when we're disappointed with people, it's because we were expecting them to be God. We were expecting them to be someone that we could hold up and follow who would give us aid and comfort, give our lives meaning, give us something that we don't have. It happens all the time with everybody from politicians to celebrity pastors. If you really want to have some fun, Google church conference on your old interweb. And look at all the various church conferences that have happened all the time. And they'll have the lists of the people who are coming to speak and they'll have their headshots on there and they're all posed in these spectacular poses with professional photography, glinty white teeth all over the page. They shine like some kind of brilliant new silver dollar you get down at the bank. 
And they're held up as people we should emulate and follow after. I want to share some good news with y'all. You don't have to emulate me. I don't want it. Is that good enough for you? I don't want it. I don't want people looking up to me. What I want out of my ministry is that you will follow my hand to the cross. And that somehow my life will point to the cross. That somehow my life will point to Jesus. That somehow you will see in me some level of faith that sometimes I have trouble seeing in myself. When I read the stories of Hebrews 11, I think to myself, Lord, if I could have that kind of faith. What kind of faith must it have taken for Joseph after he had been in slavery, having gone from the king's emissary to being in slavery? What kind of faith must it have taken to see his people in slavery and say to himself, God will deliver us. And when He delivers us, you get my bones and take them home and bury them at home. Man, that's faith. It just it fills my heart with hope to see another human being that is just as flawed as me. All of these people that are here are not listed for us to see them as heroes. They're listed for us to see the outcome of faith. To see what faith can accomplish, not what they could accomplish. And the good news is that while the rest of the world would look and say, well, that's just another parade of fools, things have happened in our lives to tell us something different. You know, the anthropologist says that we're here because we're trying to control the weather. We get together and we pray about natural things, physical things. We get together and we try in some collective to pray for goodness to be the outflow of whatever is out there. That we're trying to convince ourselves that there's someone in the world who loves us when we don't. And lastly, that we're all afraid of death. And so we concocted, um, we concocted a God who can give us life. I don't think that's why y'all are here. Anybody here for any of those reasons? I'm not. I'm here because like these people, I saw other people have experiences of God and I had experiences of God that don't make sense other than that they're real. Because I've been sustained at times when maybe I shouldn't have been. Have y'all had those experiences? Have you had those times where God has met you in the absurd circumstances of your life and given you a deep peace that there was no other way to explain it? And known right then and there that you were receiving the gift of faith? Have you felt the assurance of God's presence in deep and hurtful times and things, times when there seemed like there was no hope at all? And knew that you were not alone. That you would not be abandoned. That you would not be given over to things to be destroyed and taken. Then you have experienced what all of these people experienced. There's nothing special about any of them. Moses was a stutterer and apparently a murderer, depending on who you asked. 
They were all just ordinary, plain people like us. Now, if you came here today thinking you weren't ordinary and plain, I'm sorry. But they were all ordinary and plain people like us. Just like us. But I remember in all my Sunday school training, they were held up as heroes of the faith. Remember all that? Had the little felt figures of them that you moved around on the paper. Sticker books. Sticker books weren't as much fun when I was a kid because the stickers would stick to stuff and get you in trouble because they didn't come off. Now kids can stick a sticker on the back seat of the car and it'll come off. They don't get yelled at. Not so in my day, but we had all that stuff, right? And we colored all these people and we were taught to look up to them. But I think those people would tell us that that is a misappropriation of what's happening, that they are a great parade of people, a great parade of faithful who have followed and followed and followed and followed, even when following no longer made sense, they followed anyway. And they didn't give in to the world or the world's demands or the world's threats or the callousness of those who would say you only believe in God because you are afraid that when you close your eyes in death there will be nothing. But they held on. But they're not who we're to look up to here. The skeptic, that anthropologist I was talking about a minute ago, they would say that we've all just latched ourselves on to a parade of fools and are stammering down the street off into nothingness, throwing our lives away. What do you think? Are we a parade of fools or a parade of faithful people? These people are not leading the parade. They are walking with us. That's what Hebrews means when it says there's this great crowd of witnesses. These are the people who finished the race ahead of us and they've taken their seat at the finish line to clap us on forward, to encourage us and say, don't give up, keep pushing, press on in faith, the outcome is real. There is hope at the end of the line. There is fresh water. There is rest. And all through Hebrews, that's what's lifted up. The idea of a blessed rest for the faithful of God. A time of renewal and new creation and new hope. A time when we will be delivered from the strictures of death and sin and the things that hold us and entangle us and keep us from experiencing the promises of God and the things that God has for us. The fullness of life that comes from knowing that nothing can take life from us. That only God decides when we die, if we die, and how we die. That God allows all things. That God gives all good things. That God is in control, as we like to say at times. That God is the one who is our hope. And we are reminded that we are not to hold any of these people as heroes. They're fellow journeyers. They're fellow marchers in the parade. They're like Charles Barkley. I'm not. I'm not your role model. I'm just following like you are. That's what they would say to us. And like Paul, they would say, hey, if you want to imitate me, that's fine. But just remember, I'm imitating him. And who was he talking about? Anybody want to guess? Jesus. 
So the author of Hebrews names all these people all through this chapter, the people that we heard about last week when we remembered Jesus' promise that He will build the church and that we can press on into that promise with faith because all of these people pressed on into the promise that God had a place of rest ahead for God's people. That the time of struggle will end. And here we hear of the rest of them. And the writer didn't tell us to fix our eyes on any of them, did he? Who did he tell us to fix our eyes on? What's his name, church? Jesus. Oh, I remember a time when Peter was feeling threatened by all these people who showed up at the house. They want to know what in the world's going on. We heard the mighty sound of a rushing wind and all you goobers are talking in strange languages. What in the world? It's a parade of fools, they said. But Jesus... Peter stood up and said, no, we're no parade of fools. We are a people affected by the Spirit given by the mighty Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified has been lifted up and made Lord and Savior. Has been made Christ and Lord. He's been made King. He's been held up over everything. And He, dear ones, is the one who goes before us leading this parade. It's always been Him. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to know. When Moses was following faith, he says he was following the Christ he did not yet know. The same Christ that calls us to follow Him, to take up His cross and join this parade of people that the world calls fools who are willing to live for something other than themselves. Huh? And so he says, Fix your eyes on Him. Fix your eyes on the One who's been leading this parade of saints since 4,000 years ago. The One who began by calling Abraham to a new life. The One who showed Himself to Joshua as He was about to cross the river. The One who comes to each and every one of us to call us and lift us out of our sin and despair and say to us, there is good news for you. There is a rest to come. And all you got to do is get in the parade. All you got to do is get in the parade. I wish I could remember the words of that song, people get ready good enough to give them the dawn so he could sing it for y'all. Don't need no ticket, you just get on board. Isn't that what it said? That's us, people. We're being called to join a parade and simply walk to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to trust that where He is going is good for us. And to believe it enough to tell other people these stories that are in this Word so that they might be compelled to follow as well. Because at the end, at the end of the race, at the end of the race is a great cloud of witness sitting in the bleachers, clapping and waiting for us. Those mothers that you have lost, those children you have lost, those aunts that you have lost, those sisters that you have lost, the brothers, the parents, all of those faithful people who have gone before you have flooded into that set of beaters and wait and clap in the mighty presence of the mighty Christ, waiting for you, dear one. As you follow along in faith, a parade of faithful people. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like a fool today.
I feel like I had the assurance that I am a son of God. And I pray that your own faith gives you that same assurance that you are a child of God. That the God who called you will be faithful to you to uphold you and lead you through all things. Christ who goes before us through suffering and death and the cross and resurrection will lead us all the way to the end, to our own resurrection in that day when He will shout to our bodies, come forth. And we will again be whole and renewed. There are only three imperatives in this text today. Throw off all the junk that's keeping you from running. He says, let go of the sin that so easily entangles you. Walk away from it. And the second imperative is run. Get in the race. Get in the parade. Start walking. Start moving. Get on with it. The destination is worth it. And thirdly, He says to us, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the one who will nurture that faith. It originated with Him. It comes from Him. It's a gift from Him. He will perfect it in you so that it can produce its fruit in you, which is love, joy, and peace, and perseverance, and all of the wonderful things that you can't yet imagine. For great are the things that God has in mind for those who love Him, the Bible says. You join the parade. Every time I've ever been to a parade and watched it from the side, I've thought it was okay. But every time I've ever loaded some kids up in a float or jumped in a parade myself, I thought it was fun. I promise you, this parade we're in is fun. Jump in, start walking, take it seriously. There's life at the end. There's hope and joy at the end. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Do all that you can to never lose sight of Him. And dear ones, you will not feel like a fool either. But you will know that this is indeed a parade of faithful, a happy throng headed toward the city of God. I promise you this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.